Chapter 1 of the Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America, 1638 to 1870. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Suppression of the African Slave Trade to the United States of America, 1638 to 1870, by W. E. B. Du Bois. Chapter 1. Introductory. Plan of the Monograph. This monograph proposes to set forth the efforts made in the United States of America from early colonial times until the present to limit and suppress the trade in slaves between Africa and these shores. The study begins with the colonial period, setting forth in brief the attitude of England and, more in detail, the attitude of the planting, farming, and trading groups of colonies toward the slave trade. It deals next with the first concerted effort against the trade and with the further action of the individual states. The important work of the Constitutional Convention follows, together with the history of the trade in that critical period which preceded the Act of 1807. The attempt to suppress the trade from 1807 to 1830 is next recounted. A chapter then deals with the slave trade as an international problem. Finally, the development of the crises up to the Civil War is studied, together with the steps leading to the final suppression, and a concluding chapter seeks to sum up the results of the investigation. Throughout the monograph, the institution of slavery and the interstate slave trade are considered only incidentally. The Rise of the English Slave Trade Any attempt to consider the attitude of the English colonies toward the African slave trade must be prefaced by a word as to the attitude of England herself and the development of the trade in her hands. Sir John Hawkins' celebrated voyage took place in 1562, but probably not until 1631 did a regular chartered company undertake to carry on the trade. This company was unsuccessful and was eventually succeeded by the Company of Royal Adventurers Trading to Africa, chartered by Charles II in 1662 and including the Queen Dowager and the Duke of York. The company contracted to supply the West Indies with 3,000 slaves annually, but contraband trade, misconduct, and war so reduced it that in 1672 it surrendered its charter to another company for 34,000 pounds. This new corporation, chartered by Charles II as the Royal African Company, proved more successful than its predecessors and carried on a growing trade for a quarter of a century. In 1698, parliamentary interference with the trade began. By the Statute 9 and 10, William and Mary, Chapter 26, private traders, on payment of a duty of 10% on English goods exported to Africa, were allowed to participate in the trade. This was brought about by the clamor of the merchants, especially the American merchants who, in their petition, suggest that it would be a great benefit to the kingdom to secure the trade by maintaining forts and castles there, with an equal duty upon all goods exported. This plan, being a compromise between maintaining the monopoly intact and entirely abolishing it, was adopted, and the statute declared the trade highly beneficial and advantageous to this kingdom, 
and to the plantations and colonies thereunto belonging. Having thus gained practically free admittance to the field, English merchants sought to exclude other nations by securing a monopoly of the lucrative Spanish colonial slave trade. Their object was finally accomplished by the signing of the Asiento in 1713. The Asiento was a treaty between England and Spain by which the latter granted the former a monopoly of the Spanish colonial slave trade for 30 years, and England engaged to supply the colonies within that time with at least 144,000 slaves at the rate of 4,800 per year. England was also to advance Spain 200,000 crowns and to pay a duty of 33.5 crowns for each slave imported. The kings of Spain and England were each to receive one-fourth of the profits of the trade, and the Royal African Company were authorized to import as many slaves as they wished above the specified number in the first 25 years, and to sell them except in three ports at any price they could get. It is stated that, in the 20 years from 1713 to 1733, 15,000 slaves were annually imported into America by the English, of whom from one-third to one-half went to the Spanish colonies. To the company itself, the venture proved a financial failure, for during the years 1729 to 1750, Parliament assisted the royal company by annual grants which amounted to 90,000 pounds, and by 1739, Spain was a creditor to the extent of £68,000 and threatened to suspend the treaty. The war interrupted the carrying out of the contract, but the peace of Aix-la-Chapelle extended the limit by four years. Finally, October 5, 1750, this privilege was waived for a money consideration paid to England, the asiento was ended, and the royal company was bankrupt. By the Statute 23, George II, Chapter 31, the old company was dissolved and a new company of merchants trading to Africa erected in its steed. Any merchant so desiring was allowed to engage in the trade on payment of certain small duties, and such merchants formed a company headed by nine directors. This marked the total abolition of monopoly in the slave trade and was the form under which the trade was carried on until the American Revolution. That the slave trade was the very life of the colonies had, by 1700, become an almost unquestioned axiom in British practical economics. The colonists themselves declared slaves the strength and sinews of this Western world, and the lack of them the grand obstruction here as the settlements cannot subsist without supplies of them. Thus, with merchants clamoring at home and planters abroad, it easily became the settled policy of England to encourage the slave trade. Then, too, she readily argued that what was an economic necessity in Jamaica and the Barbados could scarcely be disadvantageous to Carolina, Virginia, or even New York. Consequently, the colonial governors were generally instructed to give all due encouragement and invitation to merchants and others, and in particular to the Royal African Company of England.
duties laid on the importer and all acts in any way restricting the trade were frowned upon and very often disallowed. Whereas, ran Governor Dobbs' instructions, acts have been passed in some of our plantations in America for laying duties on the importation and exportation of Negroes to the great discouragement of the merchants trading thither from the coast of Africa. It is our will and pleasure that you do not give your assent to or pass any law imposing duties upon Negroes imported into our province of North Carolina. The exact proportions of the slave trade to America can be but approximately determined. From 1680 to 1688, the African Company sent 249 ships to Africa, shipped there 6,783 Negro slaves, and after losing 14,387 on the Middle Passage, delivered 46,396 in America. The trade increased early in the 18th century, 104 ships clearing for Africa in 1701. It then dwindled until the signing of the Asiento, standing at 74 clearances in 1724. The final dissolution of the monopoly in 1750 led, excepting in the years 1754 to 57, when the closing of the Spanish marts sensibly affected the trade to an extraordinary development, 192 clearances being made in 1771. The Revolutionary War nearly stopped the traffic, but by 1786, the clearances had risen again to 146. To these figures must be added the unregistered trade of Americans and foreigners. It is probable that about 25,000 slaves were brought to America each year between 1698 and 1707. The importation then dwindled, but rose after the asiento to perhaps 30,000. The proportion, too, of these slaves carried to the continent now began to increase. Of about 20,000 whom the English annually imported from 1733 to 1766, South Carolina alone received some 3,000. Before the Revolution, the total exportation to America is variously estimated as between 40,000 and 100,000 each year. Bancroft places the total slave population of the continental colonies at 59,000 in 1714, 78,000 in 1727, and 293,000 in 1754. The census of 1790 showed 697,897 slaves in the United States. In colonies like those in the West Indies and in South Carolina and Georgia, the rapid importation into America of a multitude of savages gave rise to a system of slavery far different from that which the late Civil War abolished. The strikingly harsh and even inhumane slave codes in these colonies show this. Crucifixion, burning, and starvation were legal modes of punishment. The rough and brutal character of the time and place was partly responsible for this, but a more decisive reason lay in the fierce and turbulent character of the imported Negroes. The docility to which long years of bondage and strict discipline gave rise was absent, and insurrections and acts of violence were of frequent occurrence. Again and again, the danger of planters being 
cut off by their own Negroes, is mentioned both in the islands and on the continent. This condition of vague dread and unrest not only increased the severity of laws and strengthened the police system, but was the prime motive back of all the earlier efforts to check the further importation of slaves. On the other hand, in New England and New York, the Negroes were merely house servants or farmhands and were treated neither better nor worse than servants in general in those days. Between these two extremes, the system of slavery varied from a mild serfdom in Pennsylvania and New Jersey to an aristocratic caste system in Maryland and Virginia. End of chapter 1